You're listening to The Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. Today's episode is brought to you from the Sedalis headquarters in Dubai. I'd like to welcome the second guest on the Simply Flawsome show. He is charm, he is drive, he is energy, he is passion, personality, and a positive mental attitude. He's an action and risk taker, an adrenaline junkie, an entrepreneur, a media personality, a professional speaker, and he's the producer and presenter of his own TV show here in Dubai. This person decided he wanted to be an entrepreneur at a very young age. So in 2008, just as he was finishing university in his very last exam, he packed his bags, which he famously took into his exam, <laughs> and then he headed for the airport and he jumped on the plane to start his new life in Dubai. One of his goals in life is to enjoy life as much as he can. So he decided to make a business out of his hobbies and his desires. So his TV show, it documents his crazy adventures in the UAE. I'm very proud to know him personally and to call him a friend so please help me to welcome the man himself, Mr. Paris Norris. <laughs> Thank you. You know what, I had enjoyed listening to that because not only was it the best introduction that anybody's ever given me, but it was also the most accurate. Really? Maybe because you know me, but uh, it was spot on. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, so I like that. Good, well done. So Paris, you know that the focus on these episodes is mental health. Mm. But first of all, I'd like you to take us all back and tell us the story of where it all started for you. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and what is it that happened in your early years that resulted in you being the kind of the go-getter and mm. just doing it, just doing things as you do today? Yeah, that, well, you know, <clears throat> that's interesting because people don't usually ask me to go right back, but it's really important because... Everything comes from before I was born. Mm -hmm. um, my mother is a burger, right? And a burger is a uh, race of people within Sri Lanka that were mixes of colonials and Sri Lankans. Um, and when Sri Lanka got its independence, because the burgers were very much... Uh, uh, the tradesmen and worked a lot more with the colonials being the British, the Dutch and the Portuguese who colonized Sri Lanka or colonized Sri Lanka. Um, when Sri Lanka got its independence they said to the burghers you have no place here, you're with them, you're not with us. So in the 50s the burghers were kicked out and well kind of kicked out, they were kind of discriminated against and they all went to either Australia or England. So half of my family are in Australia and half of them are in England. And the burgers, although they look sort of semi-Sri Lankan, so as I am, you know, I'm darker than most British, they speak with British accents and they've got, uh, like our, our family name is Duckworth and um, uh, they, they, they're very much, uh, you know, they, they carry British names and things like this. Um, so my mother moved to, Sri Lanka, uh, to England uh, at the age of 14. Now, my mother uh, had gone to 14 different schools within that time, so more than one a year, because obviously she started at like three or four. So <clears throat> she had, they were a very migrant within Sri Lanka. And she had an older brother who I've never met. Um, my mother has never spoken to him since uh, she was much being a very evil man, who um, told their mother that she needs to come to England in order to get a good education. And he took her there uh, on the basis of her going into an English school and he showed them, you know, uh, the, you know the, the education system there. But then he didn't put her into school. 
and he put her to work in the London Underground sweeping floors at age 14 and she would get paid the equivalent of about you know, 10, 10 dirhams a week because uh, it was small money back then and he'd take that you know, so she wasn't left with anything and so essentially it was almost like slavery so he was almost enslaving his own sister um, now my mum would then say you know why am I not getting the education that I come over here for to her mother who was still in Sri Lanka and she would wonder what was going on and then he'd show the brochures of all the top private schools in the country and say we can't possibly afford this I didn't realize they're so expensive which of course wasn't true because we have free education in in, in to a state school exactly yeah so um, my mother's education finished when she moved to England so her education finished at 14 and um, luckily she was very beautiful and started doing some modeling and acting she was in a, a Fellini film and which is a, a very, he was a very famous director from Italy uh, so if you're in the film business they know Fellini is a, is a big name um, and then <clears throat> because of the kind of small amount of fame that she was getting um, she had met a, a very high-profile aristocrat who was the Marquis of Bath who owns the Longleat estate um, and they got married and they had a very uh, they, were, they were very avant-garde for their time because it was the hippie era, this is in the 60s and um, they were, they used to dress almost like Dracula, you know, like with these long gowns and everything they were very, very uh, uh, ahead of their time in many ways and you've got to remember this is in a very inspired age um, in the 60s and so when I came into the world um, I came into a world where, so th that's not my father, that was my mother's ex-husband. My father was a very famous photographer and, and filmmaker uh, when I was young. Um, but he went broke when I was eight. His, uh, he got a knock on the door one day when um, the police turned up and said, excuse me, do you know the whereabouts of this person? And they said, well, he's our accountant, but no, we haven't heard from him in two weeks and we were wondering where he was. And they said, well, we think you should check your accounts because he's stolen the money from 12 other companies and we think he's stolen money from you. And they checked their, uh, their business and he'd taken everything. And he'd been publishing fake uh, numbers for a long time. So my, my father went broke when I was about eight. And that was pretty much him over with business. He, didn't, he decided to sell his house in Chelsea and go and live in, um, uh, in France, where he lives now and retired there um, but he sort of went to say he sort of went out on a low in terms of business he wasn't a businessman ever he was a creative guy and he didn't want to start that fight again you know um, he must have been in his late 50s when all that happened so when when I came into the world I came into the world in a very s strange environment where uh, my mother was a flamboyant ex-actress we, our friends and family were aristocrats and owned country estates the sizes, size of Dubai, you know, things like this, it was insane. I mean, maybe you know Longleat, but that's where I grew up. And um, surrounded by these very arist uh, eccentric characters all the time, which was always kind of funny. But my mother herself didn't have an education and found it very difficult to earn any money. Mm -hmm. So our income was it was I can't describe to you how low it was because when people tell me that they came from nothing I explain to them but well, I don't explain to them I don't usually don't bring this up in fact this is the first time I think I've ever spoken about it mm -hmm. but um, we, we, our household income was lower than your cleaner would have been you know because my mum didn't have the ability to earn she had no education so, so on the outside it looked like you maybe had Everything you had, all these influential friends, but on the inside, you know, you're yeah. struggling, yeah, to, to make yeah. So, we, we came from a very, yeah, money was always a big problem. Um, it was very, very uh, low income, but my mum was such a great social person, 
and um, all our the, the the people we grew up around were were very interesting characters. So, in the end, uh, and it was always my mother's goal that she was going to get us educated because she didn't have that chance. So me and my two sisters, we all went to the top ten universities in uh, in the UK. How did you achieve that? How did how did you achieve that without? financial backing? Well, this is what was interesting, because not only that, but I went to the most expensive school in the country at the time, um, and it was claimed that it might have been the most expensive school in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and how does a, a mother with no education and, not, and hardly any income put that together? It was actually incredible looking back. Mm -hmm. I uh, became very good at sport. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up getting a sports scholarship there. It was the best sporting school in the world, a school called Millfield. Um, and, um, but that, with the maximum scholarship you could get was 50%. So there's still another 50% of a very expensive school that had to be covered. So my mum, knowing all the people that she knew and all the charities and everything, she basically said, look, my son is an athlete and he's got uh, a sports scholarship to the best sports school in the, in the country. Mm -hmm. um, can you help him for his education? Mm -hmm. And basically, through charity, got, got me there. And um, friends helped out. Uh, but there's a lot in the UK. We have a fantastic system for helping underprivileged kids get into school. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, if they've got talent, if they're, if they're either very bright or they're sporty or they're artistic or wh whatever their talent, there's a lot of charities there to, to help them. And you know, it's now one of my goals that I get to the position where I'm able to give back to those charities because I was a charity kid. <laughs> that Those charities gave, uh, gave to me to get to uh, through school, so so that was that was the upbringing. It was all, that was always in. Um, I was always in very grand environments, but I was I was misplaced. And my mother was always didn't want me to be there. She didn't want me to be at this school where I was, you know, friends with Pierce Brosnan's son and you know uh, the oligarchs of of uh, Russia and these serious bigwigs. She didn't. No, because I'm not from that place and she didn't want me getting ideas and thinking that I should have this or why don't I have that, you know. So she always was concerned about that but I tell you what, when I went to that school where um, I was mixing with these people, one of the things I realised is they're no different to me mm -hmm. and I can have what they have and when I started meeting their, uh, their fathers who were these grand characters, um, I really realised that there is nothing that that they have about them that I don't have about me. Mm -hmm. I mean, at school, I was the popular kid. Mm -hmm. At school, I was the, the, the one who was able to achieve things. I wasn't the only one. I mean, there's uh, many uh, great people there, but there, there was nothing um, that they had that I didn't. Okay. So. So who's been the most significant influence in your life? Who would you say has been the most significant person? Well, I would have to say my mum. Your mum. Okay. I mean, but, but she's influenced me in, in many ways, but when it comes to business, mm -hmm. she, uh, she, she's given me no influence, mm -hmm. uh, because she's not from that space. So that's a bit where me and my mum don't connect anymore. When it comes to work, I just say, mum, just leave it to me, because <laughs> she was never in that space. Well, I guess she gave you that education. She gave you that amazing education. That's an incredible story. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. But within itself giving you that incredible education that has enabled you and maybe giving you the the confidence to go out there and to kind of take action and, and do what you're doing today. So moving on from, from that to where you are now, as you know that the focus of these, this series is, is mental health. Now a lot of entrepreneurs, they talk about the, up, the ups but they don't really like to acknowledge the downs. So what I'd like to ask you is, what have been the darkest times for you of being an entrepreneur since you managed, since you started this journey, and how have you managed it? Yeah, look, the the thing that really gets you when you're an entrepreneur is you start to really realise how inhumane people can be. Every, one thing you 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 figure when you're trying to set up businesses is everything's to do with people. Mm -hmm. It's being able to convince people that 
your business is worth taking on. It's being able to motivate people, to get them believing in your ideas so they want to work with you, mm -hmm. uh, to get people to invest in you. So everything is about people. Numbers don't matter. Strategies doesn't matter. These are just minute details that you work out. But everything is about people. And you see the good and the bad of people. And, um, you know, when you work in a job, you don't see that the same way. You just simply don't see how harsh people can be. Um, whether it's your employees who, um, you know, you've tried your hardest to look after and then they, they want to fire at you and take you to the labor court uh, in an unfair way, or whether it's your partners who, who used to pretend you were almost like brothers and now they're trying to sue you for money. These things are... But it, it's hard because you think, is this another human being that I'm dealing with? Mm. That's not nice. At the end of the day, we all want to be able to get along. We, it's not losing money, it's not, not achieving your goals that are difficult, it's not going through times of uh, being broke or getting late payments. All of those things are things that you can deal with. It's when uh, you realize that people can be very selfish and out for themselves. Um, and so you just have to maintain that you're not going to get bitter about that and you're not going to learn what you've seen and apply that to the way that you're going to behave but you're going to stand by your own values. Okay. Okay. I was listening to one of your YouTube videos and you said that you don't have any fears and worries and that you just get on with it and just do it. Is this true? Uh, <clears throat> look, I think generally to a large extent yes. Um, to say I don't have any fears is, would be uh, would um, be wrong, but I don't think I fear the things that most people worry about. Um, you know, giving something a go or embarrassing themselves or um, uh, saying they're going to do something and fail, and everybody being like, "Oh, what happened there?" Yeah. I've gone and done all that, and it, it it didn't really bother me. I think you know. I grew up in an environment with, with, with friends where we didn't care about what people thought of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, I've taken that into business in the sense that I'm, I, I'm not concerned too much about um, those types of things. Um, when it comes to the types of things I do on my show, where I'm going and doing extreme sports and things, honestly, my adrenaline level doesn't even rise. Uh, people sometimes say to me, like, okay, we want to do this great thing, uh, we, we're going to zip line or whatever. Um, and you know what, like it, for me it's just business, it's just creating a video. Like, it, 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 I, it takes an awful lot to raise my adrenaline level. Um, it's funny because I've watched a psychologist explain it to a serial killer, um, <laughs> which I'm not by the way. But um, some people have a gen genetic predisposition to fear, which is much higher most serial killers do and adrenaline dunk junkies do too where they have to really be elevated to a much higher level in order to release adrenaline and I think I might fall in that category. What you said earlier is when you were at school and that you were with all these people that just did things that you know um, you know you weren't scared of being stupid you just went out and you did things so a lot of it is to do with socialization and which is where your mom came in with giving you this amazing education. Yeah. A lot of people don't have the the benefit of that. You know, they grow up in very kind of closed environments, and as yeah. a result of that, they have like limitations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think our biggest um, the biggest thing limiting us is our upbringing and how how our parents are. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, parents try and. Um, help their children too much in my opinion. My mum luckily left me to my own accord which meant I went and made all my mistakes very early on um, but then I realized very quickly that if I don't take a grip no one else is. Mm -hmm. um, on the contrary I remember having friends and I had a girlfriend when I was younger who's, who they were over, overly parented Every holiday they went away with their family, everything had to be with their family, they had to get their permission for everything, uh, money from a mum and dad, and mm -hmm. their parents essentially had control of them, and they never really took responsibility for their life, and I, I, I think that's, in my opinion, uh, 
not a good way to parent kids, okay. in my opinion. Do you have any morning rituals? Yeah, absolutely. Keep it clean. Okay, so <clears throat> I have a list on my phone. In case I'm a little bit drowsy in the morning, I look at my list, which tells me what I have to do before I'm allowed breakfast. Because the only thing I think about is food. So I, I, I have to do these things before I'm allowed food. Okay. Right? So the first thing I do before anything <clears throat> is I absolutely tidy my room immaculately so that I can start the day in a clean environment. Mm -hmm. Right? And then I run into the kitchen, turn on the kettle, put on the, uh, the shower, grab my towel. By then the shower's warm. Jump in the shower, do all that, get changed. Uh, then my... By the time I get to the kitchen, the kettle's boiled and ready for a coffee, and then I make breakfast. Mm -hmm. So, but the idea about that is every day we have, um, <coughs> we, we have to get up and get ready, okay? Now, if, you if you're not militant about it, that could take you two hours if you laze around and get, check social media and flick between things. But if you're militant about it and get it down to a T, then you can shorten that down to, say, half an hour so that now you're ready and now you're ready to, to work. So I, <clears throat> I keep that kind of morning ritual quite militant in order to, to get up. Mm. But I do get up and, you know, I just quickly check my messages and reply to everybody in a bit of social media, you know. Um, I have about 10 minutes of just kind of being in a bit of a daze. Everybody gets a croaky morning voice message from me like, as a response <laughs> to whatever it is they sent me the night before. Because generally speaking, I go to bed quite early. So I still have messages that people send late at night that I get in the morning. Okay. Let's talk about visualization. Because I yeah. know this is something that you do a lot of. Yeah. Okay, so visualization, you know, if we take it back to when I was at school and I was an athlete, mm -hmm. I used to visualize techniques. Mm -hmm. So in, I did athletics and I did decathlon, and I, there's a lot of technical um, events in that. My main one was the discus, mm -hmm. the, the discus that you throw. I used to replay that over and over in my mind. And you can actually perfect, perfect techniques through visualization. Mm -hmm. Now. Um, they understand this now in terms of how you're um, exercising certain motor neurons in your brain. So you don't necessarily have to actually perform the exercise mm -hmm. in order to perfect the technique. Mm -hmm. Now you do have to do both because one stops here mm -hmm. and the other one stops here. Mm -hmm. So you do have to do both but I used to practice those techniques by visualizing them. So now you could call this visualization. I mean, I guess it's more loosely called daydreaming. But I have sat there and thought, okay, how do I want my life to be? And I would visualize everything from the people I'm with, to the things I'm doing, to how I'm working, to the clothes I'm wearing, to the car I'm driving, to the, how much time I'm spending with my family, everything. This life that I want to create. And then I'd go out and do it. And so, and I remember exactly when I visualized certain things and, you know, I've had times where um, this has happened and then that set me off for the next three years. Mm -hmm. So I remember uh, Christmas Day, I think it was 2014, yeah it was 2014, um, I, I was having Christmas, I didn't go home for Christmas mm -hmm. and I was a bit upset about it. Um, and that morning, I was... It was a time where I had ended a long-term relationship, work was not going well, and a lot of things were just kind of looking not so great. And I thought, where's this all going? You know, I've been putting in a lot of time and effort into work, relationships, friendships, mm -hmm. and this isn't really where I wanted to be. Um, why am I not achieving my goals? And then I thought about it, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. The visualization three years before was that I was going to move to Dubai, I was going to set up a business, I was going to build my name as a young entrepreneur, I was going to work with high profile figures, I was going to be out there um, giving public talks and things like this. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, I had achieved that vision, but I didn't realize that I'd achieved the vision. Mm -hmm. And when I actually thought, well hang on, that, the vision that I had in my head three years ago, that I've, I've done and I did it a long time ago, but I didn't take that recognition to think, ah, here I am, here I am at my destination. Mm -hmm. And it's important to realize when you've achieved it, 
because then you've got to set the next horizon, the next vision. So when I, when I realized that in that Christmas morning, I thought, okay, well, what's the next goal? And I started visualizing it and started thinking, okay, I want to create this, this life for myself. It has a bit of this, a bit of that. The guy in Dubai is a manifestation of what I was conjuring up on Christmas Day mm -hmm. in 2014. Um, it was part of it. It was the lifestyle I wanted to create for myself as well as business and the, the media that I wanted to, to, to create. And everything that I'm maybe, <clears throat> say, two steps out of ten into now, mm -hmm. that's what I started... Uh, the, the dream I started putting together then and I'm not there yet but I'm like I think it's starting to become um, evident that I'm making progress there mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but I'm I'm nowhere near where I want to be just yet you're getting there yeah definitely and it, it's amazing how you can manifest your dreams and they can become yeah. a reality yeah sorry just on that point of visualization also <clears throat> sometimes and I used to do this more like a morning routine I would hunch up in a little ball on the bed just after I'd woken up and I would think out my day. Think, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and I would put it in order. Okay, I'm going to get on, I've got to do these emails, I've got to do that proposal. Uh, and I would think out my day for at least like three or four minutes mm -hmm. so that it would be really clear to me what needs to be done today mm -hmm. and then I'd go out and do it. So that was, mm -hmm. it was really set in my mind mm -hmm. what I've got to achieve today. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was very useful. Honestly, I don't do that as a routine anymore. And as a result, sometimes I do just get lost in my day with things and not knowing really where I am or what I'm doing. I'm at meetings, what am I doing next? You know, and I'm, there's a little bit of... Uh, I, I've be, honestly, recently I've been feeling lost because I've been so busy. I don't really know uh, if I'm making sure that all of it's turning into progressing into business. Um, but by doing this routine, <clears throat> which, you know, listening to myself, I should bring it up again, um, you're able to really understand what you've got to do for that day and how much time you can allocate to things and mm -hmm. get things done. So that's like a, a daily visualization. Why would you curl up, curl up into a ball and do that? I don't know. I almost did like one of those yoga poses. I think it's called the cat pose. Yeah. You know, where you sort of hunch. I don't know why. Uh -huh. I'd get into that position. Um, sort of stretch out a little bit as well, mm -hmm. um, you know, with your arms forward. Okay. That was just, I don't know why, I don't know if that has any help. Okay. Yeah. So you live your life very much on social media and you get invited to lots of events on a daily basis. I know how busy you are. Do you ever get lonely in the real world? Um, no. Um, the way that I manage my life is I have a very clear um, understanding of who my friends are mm -hmm. and who my acquaintances are. Mm -hmm. um, you will never see really me on social media or in public with my friends, but I spend good time with my friends. And those mm -hmm. friends I've known for 18 years upwards. Mm -hmm. um, they're people I went to school with. Yeah. and. They all live in my neighborhood, funnily enough. Mm -hmm. um, I was messaging my best mate, who I've been best friends with since I was 12. Yesterday we were having a joke about stuff. And he lives just around the corner from me, and I, you know, I live with another friend of mine who's uh, a it's friend from school. so many of your school friends are actually here with well, you in Dubai. Well, it's, that's what people say, because they're like, wow, how do you have so many friends here? That's not the case. The case is, is that I've made a good effort to find out who they are and follow up. So I'm the head of my alumni for, my, for the Middle East, so for my university, for my, for my two schools. So I arrange get-togethers for all my alumni, mm -hmm. because for me, it is worth more to invest time into existing friendships than it is to go out and make new friendships because I've got some great friends that I've known for a long time so for, now the friends I've known for a long time we're different now we do different things but they're still my close friends yeah. so the people I'm probably more similar to, similar to now mm -hmm. are my acquaintances who you know they are friends also mm -hmm. I see them more probably we have a lot more in common um, but when it comes to really when, when you need a favor, when you, when you need to really open up and talk to somebody, when you need to talk to somebody who, has, who knows really where you've come from and, and, and that type of thing, you know, 
I only have a few of those people. <clears throat> and so that keeps me happy. Because mm -hmm. if I was always out spending time with acquaintances that I can't trust to the same level, that can't open up to, to the same level, and it's all superficial uh, things like business and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, then I, I think I would be a bit lonely. Yeah. I think you've answered my next question, because the next question was about being present. Because yeah. um, I know you do like to be present, despite you living your, you know, living your life of being a social media influencer, you do like to be in the present moment. So my question was, how do you balance being in the present whilst documenting your life on social media? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, um, you know, actually the best times I have aren't on social media because I want to be in the present. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm always having to constantly remind myself, oh wait, you should put this out because it would be great content. Um, and, uh, but, you know, honestly, I don't do it as much as other people do. Some people are really great at covering everything they do in the day. I, I generally cover particular things that I think would be interesting for people. Um, so you're quite selective. About what you cover rather than everything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of days where I, I'm really not doing anything interesting. Um, I'm just working, I might be at home working. No content goes out. But I know other people, they'll find something to create <clears throat> and they'll put out a little thing to their audience to say whatever it is. Um, which is good from a social media point of view. That's yeah. the better way to do it if you're really fully focused on social media. For me, you know, I'm more interested in covering the things that I think will be will be fun, so that people. And I have had a bit of feedback from people that they go, you know, if I ever need cheering up, I always know if I watch yours, it'd be either funny or something good going on. Um, so yeah, I try and keep it more about the things that I think would be more entertaining than just everyday stuff. Okay, okay. So for those of you watching Paris, where can they find you online? Yeah, so I have a TV show called Guy in Dubai. That is on OSN's on-demand platform called Wavo. It's a subscription-based platform, so it's a bit like Netflix, you have to subscribe, but it has everything from Game of Thrones to the Kardashians and Guy in Dubai, right? So you can check me out on there if you want to see my full-length videos. We will be launching um, on other platforms at some point as well, um, but that's all to come. Um, you can see shorter versions of what I do, little mini clips on my social media. Everything is under the same tag, Guy in Dubai. Um, Instagram is probably the best place to get all of that. Um, yeah, that's where I am. Thank you so much. Thank you for being the guest. Thank you. On the second episode. Proud to be in your second episode. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.